Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Hey, what's up, CC? How are we doing in the house, first of all? Because we have a few people in here. Our uh, bridge builders, uh, specifically our coaches, team leaders, if you're like, that's not fair. Fairness died in the Garden of Eden. Ain't nothing fair. But September 27th, um, hopefully we are all going to be in-house. So uh, just get prepared. Be ready to invite. We're super excited for that Sunday. That starts next week. I just want to say this before we get to the 27th. What we are finding is Digital Campus is maybe the best way to invite somebody initially to come, um, even before they're ready to come on site physically. So don't wait for the 27th. You need to invite for that Sunday. But this is a great opportunity and a great series to invite somebody to join us digitally so take advantage, text somebody next weekend. Cannot wait for this series. So, all right, how many of you ready to wrap this thing up, how to not be your own worst enemy? And don't clap too loud because that makes me think it hasn't been that good. So here's what we're talking about. Um, in this series, hopefully uh, we can move from gol- golf claps to legit claps um, later on, uh, but we'll see. So this is the underlying question of the whole series. How do you uh, really root out How do you identify the toxic emotions that compete for control? Because a lot of times, the the things that lead us in the direction where we become our own worst enemy, where we make decisions that undermine our own happiness, it's because there's some undealt with emotions that we've never allowed to come to the surface, we've never confronted, and we've never rooted them out. That's why Solomon said this, above everything else that you do, here's the thing, and there's a lot of things you should do, but above everything else that's important in your life, you need to guard your heart. Because everything in your life is coming out of that inward place that if you don't monitor, if you don't pay attention to it, ultimately it's gonna have negative ramifications for you. And then Jesus came along and said what we've been looking at for weeks, that that it's actually the things that grab your emotions and then come out of your mouth that affects your decisions and behaviors that ultimately put you at odds with God. Not that God doesn't love you, but ultimately you're not connecting in that relationship because those things that affect your behavior and your decisions, they don't just hurt you. They always hurt other people around you. And so what, put you, what puts you at odds with other people ultimately puts you at odds with God because Jesus was really clear as he ended his whole ministry. If you guys forget everything else and you'll forget most of what I teach you, don't forget this. The marching orders for Jesus followers is that you love other people the way that I've loved you. And so one of the ways that we do that we never think about is to pay attention to the underlying emotions that ultimately direct our lives and can impact other people's lives. Here's one of the best quotes um, I came across as I was studying for this series. It was on a podcast. It was this artist, Amanda Palmer, and she was actually quoting somebody else that I don't think she attributed it to, but I loved the quote. She just said this, if you don't deal with your demons, they go into the cellar of your soul and lift weights, which is true, right? Like what is hidden ultimately grows, And so one of the ways that we know that there are some emotions that we need to deal with is they begin to gain traction over our moods and over our mouths. And at that point, you can't really excuse like, well, that's not me. It's just difficult circumstance. I'm going through a rough time. And that may all be true. But Jesus would say, actually, it is indicative of something bigger that's going on inside of you. There's something happening in your heart. So in the series, we've talked about, talked about envy, we've talked about insecurity, we've talked about anger, we've talked about doubt. And all of those at some level, like if you work hard enough, they're easy to identify. I wanna deal with the one that's not easy to identify because it disguises itself. And what I wanna talk about is the destructive emotions that disguise themselves ultimately as virtues. And it's so hard to see in the mirror. And it's something that I'm telling you, it directs us, it directs our churches, it can direct our lives. But often these emotions disguise themselves as sensitivity, disguise itself as kindness, as love, as compassion. And the reality is, it's anything but. And and here's what all of you know, regardless of your background. Sometimes what is nice doesn't feel nice. 
In fact, I would say this, that sometimes care doesn't feel caring and sometimes love doesn't feel loving. So just to all the parents for just a second, like you know this if you're a parent of a kid. Now here's the thing that was always laughable to me uh, when I was a kid and my dad would come in to spank me and I know that many of you, that's not a thing and so that's fine. Um, it is a thing in our house done appropriately and we still like that method, but that's another conversation. But my dad would used to always come in to the room and then I would love this talk and it, like it was very gracious, but he would always like drop this line of this, this is gonna hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you. And as a kid, you're like, there's no way this is gonna hurt you more than it's gonna hurt me. This is gonna hurt me way more. And now as a parent, I dropped the same line, but I was right. It's completely not true. Like it is gonna hurt them more than it's gonna hurt me. But there is this thing of when you walk into the room sometimes and you gotta discipline, you gotta say no. Honestly, it, it at times rips your heart out because you don't wanna do it. And the loving thing to do in that moment feels anything but loving for your kid. Like, that's just the truth. And then on the other side of it, like you maybe can look back at seasons with your parents and something went down that you were so angry about. And now on the other side of it, it was one of the most loving things that they could have done for you. So we just know practically, love doesn't always feel loving. Care doesn't always feel caring. And here's what I'm talking about in terms of the destructive emotions that disguise themselves as virtue. They wrap themselves in this cloak that looks something like this. It looks like fear of rejection. This is what's actually below the surface that disguises itself as sensitivity and kindness. Fear of rejection, discomfort with conflict, which, I mean, all of us are there at some level, apprehension around confrontation. And these emotions, which is how I would characterize them, they disguise themselves, as I said, as kindness, as sensitivity, but here's really all that they are. It's fear of rejection. <laughs> It's discomfort with conflict and it's apprehension around confrontation. And what we're gonna look at for just a few minutes, whether you're buying it yet or not, is those things you do not want to become your own worst enemy because they will. And ultimately they will affect you and they will hurt you. And maybe unlike anything else that we've dealt with in this series, if you do not root these things out or at least acknowledge them, they will become the own worst enemy for people around you. And in many cases, people who are closest to you. Now, here's the other thing. There's one other one though, that also is an emotion that hides itself behind kindness and sensitivity. And it's so easy to just kind of pull these things out there and never deal with it. And this isn't so much an emotion, it's a lack of emotion. And what I'm talking about with this one is indifference. Indifference is basically just this. It's a lack of concern where there should be concern. Now, here's what's true, and maybe, like, maybe you're honest sometimes, and this isn't the case, but most of the time we never admit this. Most of the time we'll never talk about this. This is not something we wanna admit in the mirror. Like nobody generally like, looks at somebody and goes, this is gonna end really, really badly for you. It's gonna be a train wreck. I don't really care. You, you don't look at, hey, that you're going down a path you don't wanna go, whatever. Like it's their choice, is what it is. What's gonna happen is gonna happen. I mean, maybe you say that sometimes, but generally with people you genuinely care about, you don't just go, that's gonna be terrible. Terrible. that's gonna bankrupt them, that's gonna end their marriage, that's gonna sever their relationship with their 17-year-old kid, whatever, they can do what they wanna do, it's their life. No, generally what we say is, well, I, I shouldn't interfere. Or they haven't asked for my input, or that's gonna end really badly, but it's none of my business. And, and we disguise it around kindness and even sensitivity, and I don't wanna get involved, and it's not my place, and, and we, we, never, we never admit this idea of indifference where there should be emotion and there is no emotion. But here's what I know, just to shift the tables for a second. If you are in the place, and you have been, and if I'm in the place and I have been where I'm about to move in a direction where I'm gonna undermine my own happiness, undermine my own, own fulfillment, undermine my own future, where I'm gonna become my own worst enemy, I don't want people who are closest to me to give in to these disguised emotions that look like virtues that are actually just fear, discomfort, apprehension, and indifference because that's not just affecting their life, that's gonna affect my life. And all of us can look to moments in our life where somebody gave into these things and we wish with everything they wouldn't have or somebody moved past these things and maybe we hated them in the moment, but it's one of the defining moments in our life that kept us moving in a direction that we didn't wanna go. So here's what I would say. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, some of what I'm gonna talk about is gonna be super relevant to you, so I'll get to you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't listen to those voices. 
Like you've been given another voice. What the scripture talks about is the voice of the good shepherd. And maybe you've tracked long enough to know this is what comes from that voice and what prompts you in terms of your decision-making and your life and where you should go. Sometimes it doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like love. It doesn't always feel like compassion, but we know that we have a good shepherd that is leading us in paths that are good where we are not gonna become our own worst enemy if we would listen to his voice. And so here's what Jesus said around this whole topic. And I'm gonna give you the upfront verse in case you just wanna tune out early or I make you mad later on, but I'm not gonna give you the context. So I hope you stay to the end, but here's what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or your sister, pause, this is somebody super important in relationship. So um, brother and sister is not talking about physically like family, familial brother and sister. This is like um, specifically Jesus followers. This is somebody you're close to, you have relationship with, like you've sat and watched a game a few times. Like there's, you know, their kids' names. They know your kids' names. Like you've done life together. So he's like, if your brother or sister sins, go, this is so uncomfortable, and point out their fault. And I know because we have a very, very diverse audience watching that's gonna podcast that listens via radio. So I know as soon as I drop that verse, you're like, that is my entire religious experience. I grew up in churches where all they did was religious people walked around telling me my faults and that's why I'm not in the church anymore or I'm kind of low key online, don't want anybody to know because it's been about 10 years because my entire religious experience, and I'm gonna put it in your words, this may offend some church people because you're around self-righteous religious idiots and that's all they did was point out your faults all the time. And you're like, that's why I walked away. So I'll come back to that because the issue was not what Jesus said. The issue is the misapplication of what Jesus said. But here's still the question. Okay, who does that? Like, I mean, even if we're misinterpreting it. Okay, who does that? And Jesus is about to make the, the case that people who, who say no to indifference and people ultimately who can root out the emotion that disguises itself as sensitivity and kindness, but the emotion of fear that's fear of rejection or discomfort with conflict or apprehension around confrontation, the people who are willing to say no to those things and not allow those things to become their own worst enemy and love the people around them enough to not give in to their own emotions about how they're gonna receive what they say, those are the people who do this. And so Jesus is like, he's about to give the context and it's within this conversation where Jesus with his disciples. And so here's how he sets it all up. So I wanna set it up the way Jesus set it up. And then I wanna drop this uncomfortable truth that came from Jesus. So take it up with him. But here's how it goes down. Jesus with his guys in Matthew 18, one. And if you're with me, drop some kind of emoji in the chat right now. If you're with me in the house, give me some kind of noise. So I just know that I'm connecting with you. So here's how it goes down, Matthew 18, one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which, side note, another message. This was a confusing part because the, the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in was different than any kind of kingdom they knew. They're waiting for a political kingdom. They're waiting a movement. They're waiting to take back Israel. They were waiting to moralize society. They're waiting to win back their way. And Jesus comes in to go, no, I'm actually offering a subversive kingdom from the bottom up, not the top down. It's actually gonna be characterized by you giving your life away, not getting your thing. It's gonna be you serve for the sake of other people. It's uncomfortable and everybody's like, how far are we gonna take that? Well, I'm gonna die at the end of my life. So that's how far you take that. And so it's a completely different kind of kingdom that's not about you leveraging power. It's about you leveraging humility and giving up your lives for the sake of other people. And they're like, that's naive. And then it toppled the Roman empire three centuries in. And so he's like the kingdom of heaven. And then verse two, and then he called little children around him and he placed the children and this child among them. And then verse three, and he said, very truly, I tell you, unless you change, this is so powerful, and you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he starts to set up this really uncomfortable command and unpack it for us in verse six. And he makes it really clear that now he's shifting the conversation. He's not just talking about little children. He's talking about adults. So people who are, who are gonna follow Jesus. And he says, if anyone, any adult, any person causes one of these little ones, those who believe in him to stumble, pause. And what he means by if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble in this context is to fall down, to get tripped up, to go off the rails, 
to, to kind of put something in their way, whether it's a decision or whatever that, that ultimately leads them in a bad direction. So anyone who causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, believe in Jesus to stumble. <laughs> I mean, this is Jesus. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Like this is why people wanted to kill Jesus after certain messages that he preached. And it's hyperbole, but, but Jesus' point is like, I just want you to get the understanding. This is a big deal. Like when you cause somebody else to stumble, specifically willfully, it is a big deal for me in terms of my kingdom. And it doesn't matter what it is. And then he says this verse seven, whoa, which is always Jesus like, pay attention, this is a big deal. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. And what he means by that is like, life is just gonna happen, we know this. There are gonna be things in life that cause you to stumble. There's gonna be suffering that you can't explain. There's gonna be a circumstance that you can't figure out. There's gonna be something even in terms of your DNA and wiring that makes you susceptible to something that others are not susceptible to. But life is just gonna happen and there are gonna be things and circumstances that have the potential and propensity to cause you to stumble in life. But then he says this, but woe to the person through whom they come. Meaning, stuff's just gonna come that's gonna cause you to stumble. Don't be the reason that somebody stumbles. Meaning, I'll just put it in our terms, 2020. Don't show up as a story in somebody's future counseling appointment. Like, like don't be the regret for somebody else. Don't be a part of their story. It was like, well, then I went into business with this guy. And then I returned that text. And then we hooked up on that one night. And then this and then whatever. Like don't show up in somebody's future story of their regret and their shame. Jesus is like, woe to the person who ends up being the stumbling block for somebody else. Because stumbling blocks are just coming in life. Don't be the stumbling block. Don't be that individual. So Jesus like backs up and he's like, okay, so stumbling blocks are gonna come. That's just happening. Life's gonna create them. Don't be the stumbling block in somebody else's life. And now he, he makes it really personal because he's talking about you and me and like our role in this because it's coming from out there. We or somebody else has the potential to be a stumbling block. And now he comes to the kind of don't be your own worst enemy talk to go. Don't be your own stumbling block. Don't get in your own way. And here's what he says in verse eight. And again, this language, it's hard to wrap your mind around. And Jesus uses a lot of hyperbole, but he's going somewhere with it. He says this, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. And here's all Jesus is saying. And this is where sometimes it's, it, the, the scripture's really easy to interpret when there's hyperbole and when there's not. Jesus is going, listen, if there's anything in your life that has the potential to lead you to a place where you are out of control and you have control over this thing. You need to get rid of it. It doesn't matter what it is. Like there are gonna be things in your life that at some level you have control over and they're leading you in a direction that you don't wanna go. You're becoming your own worst enemy. And Jesus is like, I wanna use extreme language because I want you to get how extreme this is. Do everything you can to root that out in your life. I don't care what it is. If you're struggling with envy, we talked about earlier in the series, get social media off your phone. For some of you, that is the equivalent of cutting off your arm. And Jesus is like, just do it. If there's a person in your life, and I'm not talking about a relationship or a covenant relationship that you need to stay in, I'm talking about something that's a peripheral relationship where somebody is a stumbling block to you, Jesus is like, create a boundary. Like whatever it is, you need, if it's, I need to go get help, I've got an addiction, I need to get into recovery, I need to get into counseling, or, or I need to remove this from my life because it's leading me in a bad direction. Jesus like, you need to do whatever it takes to do that because it's better for you to enter your life maimed and crippled than to have two hands or feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Thanks, Jesus. And then verse nine, he says this, and, and if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. So if there's anything in your life that has the potential to lead you off course and to throw your life into chaos, Jesus is like, would you please do everything you can to get rid of this? And here's the thing that in my position, I see over and over and over and over again, so many people struggling through issues and areas of their life. And there is so much within those issues in their control and they're not willing to take extreme measures. And I'll just tell you this, the things that compete for control of our life generally are not eradicated without extreme measures. And it's potential that you are praying for healing that is right in front of you, but you won't do the hard thing, the extreme thing to get rid of the stumbling block so that Jesus can set you free. 
And so he's like, I want you to take this seriously and I love you so much that I would not allow anything to lead you off the rails. And this is a big deal because you are a big deal. And this is an extreme response because that's how much I love you. And then Matthew 18, nine, end of verse nine, it is better to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of Gehenna, which is the literal accurate translation of what Jesus is referring to right here, because Gehenna in that culture, everybody knew about it. It was the south side of Jerusalem. It was literally this place where in previous days they would sacrifice children to Molech. And now it had become, and this is almost an accurate description, a dumpster fire. It was literally like a trash heap. It was, that's the south side of Jerusalem. Don't, I mean, roll your windows up when you're going in that direction. Like it was, it was bad. Everybody knew about it. And Jesus is like, like you don't wanna end up in that direction. So my point is, it is better to throw things away that are causing you to stumble than to allow your life to be thrown into chaos. And here's his connection with Gehenna. Because when your life is thrown into chaos, your life becomes a living hell. When you make yourself your own worst enemy and start to move in directions that you never wanted for your life, that chaos ultimately leads you to a place of hell on earth and to all first century, they're like, it's like the dumpster fire that is South Side Jerusalem. You don't want your life to end up there. And so come on, here's the question. All of us, I mean, we have the same answer. Have, have you ever stumbled? Like, have you ever stumbled? And, and isn't this true that you, in some cases, you would go back and you'd give anything to, to not return that text, not to say yes, not to sign on the dotted line, not to take that first drink. Like you would do anything to go back and throw that away, throw that number away, never go there, never entertain that because that event, that thing, rather than throwing it away, it threw your life into chaos. And Jesus is like, I'm just pleading with you, do everything you can. Stumbling blocks, they're coming because life is just gonna create those in a sin infested world. Other people are gonna cause you to stumble. You've got your stories. And listen, you have the propensity to cause you to stumble and to be your own worst enemy. So pay attention. And then Jesus switched gears and then he gets really, really personal. Verse 12. And so then he, he turns to his guys. He's like, so what do you guys think? Which is terrifying. I'm not answering any of your questions because you're Jesus. And I'm probably, I've got something rolling through my mind so he doesn't even know what I'm thinking. So it's like watermelon, watermelon. Like, I don't want you to know what I'm thinking because you're gonna start downloading my thoughts to me. I'm not gonna answer your questions because that always goes bad. So Jesus is there. He's like, what do you think? Nobody's gonna answer. And then Jesus launches into this really familiar parable that all of us have heard, but generally we've heard it with a totally different application. One of the things that Jesus did that even informs my teaching is he taught the same things over and over again in his three-year ministry. Because Jesus always taught toward application. And Jesus tells this familiar story, but with a completely different angle, and you know it. He says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, and, and, it, and again, in this context, it just means they stumble off, they get lost, they lose their way, they don't know where they are. And he's like, if one of them wanders off, will they not leave the shepherd, leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off. And, and again, like for me, I'm like, no, I got 99 sheep. I don't, it's a sheep. But in their context, like everybody got this, like, no, 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 if you're a good shepherd, like you're going after the one, the one sheep is valuable. You go after it. So verse 13, and, and if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier, this is so important, about the one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. And again, I'll just relate it to, to being a parent because that's just the stage of life we're in with four little guys. Like everybody's lost one of their kids at the mall, right? The parents in the room, everybody's lost one of their kids at the mall or shopping center or something. So like there was a time when we lost one of our kids. I think we had three kids at the time. So one of them got lost. They're generally in a clothes rack somewhere and you can't find them, but there's a panic for a little bit about where they went. And like in that moment of like, panic of where's my kid? Like we lost him, we can't find him. Like in that moment, like you don't stop and like breathe a sigh of relief to go, I got two still. So if it doesn't work out, I got two kids still here. And honestly, three is hard. We can man-on-man -man coverage with two. It's zone with three. So like, if we don't get them, it's not the end of the world. We got two kids already. 
No, like in that moment, this is just natural. And this is, this is where Jesus is so brilliant about bringing out human emotions. He's like, this is just what you do. I relate it to a credit card. If you don't have kids, like you lose a credit card, like you don't just sit down and go, but look at everything else that's in my wallet. Like, it's fine. No, you're, you're hyper-focused on the thing that's lost. All of your emotion and all of your attention goes around what is not there. That's just natural human emotion. And Jesus is like, this is the heart of your savior. So verse 14, in the same way your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish, which means to be lost or to be ruined. And I just wanna say this to you, man, my heart breaks for you, those of you who watch and listen and you walked away for a long, a long time ago because you got this idea that you've run too far and run too hard. And if you were to come back and many of us have given you this idea that you don't have a savior who is waiting for you. But I'll tell you the shocking nature of the New Testament that many of us religious people struggle with. If Jesus were to show up physically today, he's really not going to lunch with, with me. We've been together for a while. We know each other well. He's not that concerned about me. He is running down the one that has wandered off because all of your attention and focus and emotion doesn't go to who's already in, it goes to who is not in yet because you understand what hangs in the balance and Jesus is like, I will do anything to run down. Not the people who are already here, they're good, we're good, we're fine. I'll do everything to run down the individuals who are not here yet and no matter how far you've run, if you run back in my direction, I'm meeting you every single time. Like the God of the universe will run you down. And at this point, Jesus' disciples are like, okay, well, thanks for teaching that, Jesus. That's great. We will see you next time. And Jesus is like, ah, hold on. <laughs> I'm not done. Because you're my follower. And I told you all of this for a reason, because you have a part to play. So lean in. This will be misunderstood, guys. This will be abused. Churches will take this off the rails. But when you see someone you know or you love, brother or sister, and they stumble off, their life is on the verge of being thrown into chaos, they're about to go off the rails and about to make a decision that you know is gonna undermine their happiness and potentially sabotage their future. Here's what I want you to do. If your brother or sister sins, then you, 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 Talking to you, as a follower of Jesus. You, you don't pray about it. You don't, and this is so cliche, but it's true. You, you don't disguise it as prayer requests with groups of other people. And I just wanna tell you about this guy. I'm not gonna tell you his name. His name's Bob, because that's, that's pretty general. And, but it, Bob's going through a thing and his last name starts with F, but I'm not gonna give you any more detail, but Bob F is going through some stuff and I just want you guys to pray about it and be aware. And like, there's an addiction problem and he's cheated on his wife. And so I'm just, I'm just asking that we pray for him, that God does something. And Jesus is like, shut up. To stop. What I want you to do is I want you to go. Honestly, and I just, I, I say this with confidence. I think if Jesus would hear, shut your mouth and go. I just want you to go. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, which again has been so abused, but Jesus is like, whether you feel it or not, that's not what I'm asking from you. Whether you feel it or not, I want you to go to your brother or sister who is about to go off the rails and point out their fault just between the two of you, just between the two of you, just between the two of you, I want you to do everything that you can because if one wanders off, there needs to be somebody to go after them. And you're like, no, 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 it's none of my business. And Jesus is like, I just made it your business. And I made it your business because I love them. And in fact, in many cases, I have placed you in their life to be me. You are my hands and my feet. And so I want you to love them enough to engage and not hide behind these disguised emotions of sensitivity. And I just wanna be kind, I just wanna be loving and they haven't asked me, it's none of my business. No, 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 it is your business. That's a brother or sister. Their future may hang in the balance. Now, can I get really, so here's where we've gotten this wrong. Some of you are, are on the camp and we just need to deal with sin. We just need to deal with it. By the way, like 
I agree, but generally when it's said like that and it's always that tone, you make me nervous. But we need to deal with sin. And here's the problem. I'll, I'll set it up. This, these last couple of days, I wrote a post on social media that I'm not trying to advertise, but it just, it kind of went in as I was thinking about this message about the, the dark side of cultural war Christianity. And you can check that out. Bryant Golden on Instagram, Facebook. And uh, I'm gonna come back to that September 27th. We started a series called, What Would Jesus Undo? And we're gonna talk about some of that. So mark that on your calendar and be here. But I just wanna set it up this way because here's sometimes our confusion with this. And this was so clear in the New Testament is what we need to call out sin. And, and Jesus is actually agreeing with you. Problem is you're calling out the wrong sin from the wrong people. And, and listen, are you in, in, I mean, one of the greatest nations in the world with all of its problems and all like the, a democracy and the fact that you have a voice and, and I think there's even evidence from scripture that you should leverage that voice, especially as an individual. But listen, the church sole responsibility is not to moralize society. The church's sole responsibility is not to win back anything. The, the church's sole responsibility is not to try to make any nation Christian. In fact, a lot of times when that happens, it becomes a tool of a political party rather than the conscience of a nation. The church was to lead the way in terms of what Jesus said in the first century that changed everything. And does that mean we should not fight for injustice? Absolutely, we should fight for injustice. Absolutely, we should have a voice but we should never allow our opinion and our theology give us license to unlove somebody else or to speak harshly of somebody else that we disagree with who is made in the image of the God that you say you love and serve. In fact, Paul said this, he could not have been more clear. I don't know how we missed it. In 1 Corinthians 5, 12, he's like, hey, Jesus followers, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church in his literal, literal translations, those outside of the Jesus movement? And Paul's answer to his rhetorical question was none yet. It is none of your business. It is none of your business because you cannot expect people who have not signed up to follow Jesus to be accountable to Jesus standards. That's for Jesus followers to be accountable to. And so I, I just say this in love. We are screaming at culture and from every and to everybody else who is getting in the way of our agenda and taking back whatever and preserving whatever. And there's these cry of, we need to deal with sin. And yet you are not in community with other brothers and sisters and you've never practiced the very thing that Jesus said among Jesus followers to confront other brothers and sisters in Christ to go, it's not about out there, it's about in here. And I'm gonna love you enough to tell you the truth. So your Facebook post is great, screaming at culture, not not so great. And actually your Facebook post is not great either. But the thing that God has called you to do rather than just screaming at culture with an agenda of what needs change is to get into community with other followers of Jesus and go, this is where the sin needs to be dealt with, not in harsh tones, but within a restorative nature of, I wanna lead you back to Jesus. I don't want you to go off the rails with your life. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. And what I'm screaming out here doesn't do a lot of good, but what I'm doing in community across the table from you you, that's what Jesus called the Jesus movement to do. And if we would do that, it would change the world. Because why many of you walked away is because of the hypocrisy in the church. We love to tell you what to do. And we never handle things in our own house. And so Jesus is like, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. And that doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> but here's what I will tell you, and some of you know this, some of you, ha you have this story, is in those cases where you're willing to be obedient and do that, they will thank you forever because you will be a part of their story forever. I was heading in this direction and everybody was so sensitive and loving and kind and to the point they would never even say anything to me, but then there was you and I hated you in the moment. And what you were willing to do to move past your indifference and your fear saved my life. So Jesus is like, they listen, you've won them over. 
for life. But if they will not listen, and at this point you're like, haven't I done my part? Are you serious? Like I've already done it. Like who, again, who does this? I've already gone to this person. I've already talked to them. Like I think at this point we should be done. She's like, no, we're not done. You need to go get some other people. <laughs> He's like, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along. He's like, are we in court? Jesus, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And again, I, I totally get this because you're like, this is so crazy. Jesus, this is so weird. This is so, like, who does this? And again, Jesus is like, who does this? People who don't hide behind their indifference and their fear and their apprehension and disguise it as sensitivity and kindness and love, all the while doing the thing that is most unloving to that individual who's about to lead their life in a direction where they're gonna have some regrets that they can't take back. And so the person who does this is the person who cares enough to move past all of those things, sometimes even put the relationship on the line to love somebody well enough. That's who does this. And so they take two or three witnesses and then verse 17, and if they still refuse to listen, you're like, oh, don't tell me we gotta do something else. And if they still refuse to listen, like if they're still moving in a direction where it's not gonna end well, he says this, verse 17, tell it to the assembly, which is some of your, your translations say church. That's, this is gonna sound bad. That's an inaccurate translation. It, the, the literal word has the idea of assembly. In the first century, when, when this is being said, there, there was no church. And when the church formed, it was a bunch of community groups. And they just met from house to house. And the assembly that he's talking about, it goes back to what he says earlier in this passage. It has everything to do with people that you are in deep relationship with. This is brothers, this is sisters. It's we've done life together. We know each other. We've cried together. We've prayed together. I went to your son's first birthday party. It is, there is life that is happening. And he's like, if you get to that point and they refuse to listen, then you need to tell it to the assembly, which in our context in 2020, you need to, you need to gather your community group. You need to get maybe those in a circle that you know, they know, and they care. And I know it's crazy and I know it's weird. Do you know what's at stake for them? Are you willing to love them to that extent? Now, the total misapplication of this is when the church, decades gone by, and it probably still does this in, in many circles where they're just like parading people in front of the church to go, here's their sin and we need to restore. That is a complete misapplication of this. Like we have a church where probably 3,000 when we're in, in services on site, attend on a month, over 1,000 on a weekend. Like you don't know most of the people who attend here. You have no relationship or life going on with them. And so it's none of your business. This is about people who are in relationship that love and care for that person. He's like, that's how this should function. That's how you deal with sin. That's how you love other people. One of the things a lot of times that you hear again is this cry of like, hey, you just, you just need to deal with sin. I just wanna tell you, I personally do this, unfortunately, multiple times a year. People on our staff multiple times a year, people in our church where we have stories multiple times a year, not because we're trying to go to somebody to, to point out their fault, to be judgmental, going to, to go, listen, I, I want to help restore you and somebody needs to love you enough to know this may end your marriage. And I'm not gonna sit by and watch it and disguise it as kindness. And so we need to deal with sin. Guess what? That happens all the time. You're like, well, I didn't know about that. Because you're not supposed to know about that. That's not for you to know. That's within the community of faith, people who are in relationship with one another where that happens within the church when the church is at its best. So he's like, if you so refuse to listen, tell it to the assembly. And if they refuse to listen, even to the assembly, treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. And you're like, yes. Because <laughs> if they've sinned, that's what we need to do. We need to treat them like a tax collector. We need to treat them like a Gentile. Do you know how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors in the first century? He hung out with them way more than people like me and you. In fact, here's what Jesus is saying that again, this sounds so arrogant, but it's been so misinterpreted and you'll see that I'm right in a second, but treat them as they would a Gentile or tax collector. He's like, listen, you treat them as someone who up until this point, they have the same values as you. They have the same worldview as you. They're clinging to the fact that we believe Jesus is God. And so we're following Jesus with our lives. And, and like, there's a standard to that in terms of how we love ourselves and love other people around us. And so we wanna, we wanna lovingly keep ourselves accountable to that. 
But he's like, if you go through all of this and at the end, they're not willing to listen. They're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not following that. I'm not, I'm not abiding by that. I don't, I'm not even sure if I believe that anymore. Then he says, in that moment, what you need to do is you need to begin to treat that person as if they have different values and a different worldview than you. And you actually need to back off and realize at this point, I thought we shared this. I thought we had this in common. I thought there was a common thread here and we don't. Obviously, I'm not sure you believe what I believe and this is not harsh, it's not judgmental. It's just, I'm gonna change the nature of the relationship because now it's actually none of my business anymore. It went back from it's my business to now it's none of my business again. Because apparently, and this is what Jesus is saying, I'm not sure you believe what I believe. I'm not sure if you are a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure if if this is what you're holding to any longer. And so now I'm gonna shift the nature of this conversation and I'm gonna love you like Jesus loved tax collectors and like Jesus loved Gentiles. And see, I'm just gonna tell you, this is where we got it wrong because we're screaming figuratively at all the Gentiles and the tax collectors. And we're ignoring everybody who belongs to the household of faith and a lot of you who with your picket signs and your agendas, I just, I wanna call out the hypocrisy. You've never done this before. And you wanna call out sin and you're calling out all of the wrong sin from all of the wrong people. And so then Jesus says it like this way. This is the, this is the, the summary. If your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen, you've won them over. And you're like, that's hard. And Jesus is like, I know it is, but you're to do this whether you feel like it or not. And we talk a lot about love. This is one of the ways that you can love. This may be one of the chief expressions of love. And I just tell you, my wife and I, or I early on in our ministry, and this was a result, probably not so much of the scripture convicting us that that was a part of it, but it was also just the experience around us of watching people in relationship where it wasn't very like, subjective, it was, this is going in a bad place. They're gonna end up where they don't wanna end up. And we would watch people around them say nothing and disguise it as none of our business. They didn't ask us and uh, we wanna be sensitive. And, and you look from the outside and I say this all the time, you have crystal clear insight outside of the circumstance that you're not in, but you look at it and go, it's the most unloving thing you can do. So we just decided we're gonna do this. And we've had lots of awkward conversations over the years. And we have put relationships on the line. And I'll just tell you, there's relationships that have ended because we had to go and try to love somebody enough and it was not easy and it was not comfortable. And if I could find a verse or a loophole to get me out of it, I would have. But I knew that God had placed us in their life to maybe, and it sounds crazy, but to be the voice of Jesus in that moment to go, I'm gonna love you enough to tell you the truth. And there's been a few that have come back around sometimes years later to go, hey, thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for knowing what nobody else would do in that season. But here's what I think a lot of us would agree with. Love is not silent. Love is not complicit. Love is loud. Love speaks up. Now, last thing I gotta deal with. This is not the last thing, but I'm about done. That's a lie. I do that all the time. It's a lie. I know where I'm going. I got one more point I need to make, but just the last thing before the last thing. And then I got to end. But here, here's, because this is a whole nother message that I think I'll deal with in September, October, but here's what's really important. Here's where you have seen this misapplied. Let me talk to many of you skeptics, cynics, those of you who walked away from the church. We were talking with some people we've got to know this weekend that have this story that I, and I loved hearing kind of their journey and why they're not involved anymore. And it, it kind of surrounded a lot of this. But, but here's why this has been misapplied for some of you. Because there is a, a test, a litmus test for how you know you're ready to go to talk to somebody else about their thing or about that decision that you think is gonna lead them off the rails. And here's what that litmus test is. If you are angry, angrier about their sin than you are broken about their sin, you need to stay where you are. If your sin makes you more angry than it does broken, then you are not ready to talk 
to anybody. Because here, here's where we have misapplied even God's view of sin. Is sin a big deal? Yes. It's why Jesus went to the cross to take care of all of our sin, of all of humanity, past, present, and future. Got off the cross, walked out of a grave alive, punctuated everything he said about his death and life, which it was for the forgiveness of sin and life for all of humanity if they placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Payment and punishment for sin already happened at the cross. Here's why sin is now a big deal, specifically for those of us who are followers of Jesus is because when you sin, you are God's son, you are God's daughter, and you cannot hurt somebody's kid without hurting their father. And the key thing about sin is not that God's trying to get you back or pay you back. The key thing about sin is when you sin, you hurt you and you hurt the heart of your heavenly father. And when you sin, you hurt you and you hurt the heart of your savior. And when you sin, your sin inevitably affects people around you. It affects other sons and daughters and it affects the heart of their father. And so sin is a big deal because sin hurts. Your heavenly father is not angry. He is heartbroken. And when we are more angry at the sin of our culture, and the people who represent an ideology that we think threatens our way of life, we have become the older brother in the prodigal son story. And we are angry. But we are not broken. And so you're ready to go when your heart breaks. when you hurt. Because here's human psychology. When you come with anger, it reveals the fact that the very sin that you're angry about is in you. And it's the reason why you're so angry. And when you come angry, generally your anger results from the fact that you have shame and guilt that you have not dealt with and it always expresses itself at anger at other people. And so one of the things that God will do as you see what's going on in the lives of other people, it will actually reveal things in your own life that Jesus wants to take care of and root out. So that by the time you go to somebody else, there is not arrogance and self-righteousness and judgment. There is humility. But don't camouflage your insensitivity or fear or discomfort or apprehension or indifference. And don't allow it to become your own worst enemy. Love is not silent. So you want to deal with sin? Get into community. Start loving your brothers and sisters. Be willing to speak out about the sin that actually matters among the people that you're in relationship with, that you care for. And so I just want to end with these couple questions and then these lyrics from a song. Here's what I guarantee. Somebody needs to hear from you. And this is not hyperbole, their future depends on it. And you have made excuses and you've hidden behind disguised virtues. And Jesus is going, I'm calling you, I'm calling you now, you need to go. And if you're in a place of anger, you need to get on your knees and wrestle until you get to the place where you're ready to come with humility and brokenness. But somebody needs to hear from you. And come on, it's maybe the most powerful expression of Jesus. The night he was gonna be betrayed and ultimately die the next day when he said, listen, guys, you're gonna complicate this. You're gonna get sidetracked. You're gonna replace it with a bunch of other stuff. But I want you to walk out of this room and I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. And this is one of the most powerful expressions of that. We sing the song. There's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up coming after me. Like I'm glad that God didn't decide that my sin wasn't his business. And there's no wall that he's not gonna kick down. There's no lie he's not gonna tear down, literally coming after me. Like I'm glad that God didn't decide to back off when I started to veer off. The overwhelming, never ending, reckless, I love that terminology, love of God. It's not comfortable. Let me tell you why reckless is the perfect description in this moment because Jesus did the most reckless thing imaginable still within the confines of his divinity and godness. He offered forgiveness ahead of time. 
No, but he does that. He offered salvation ahead of time. That no matter what we do or where we go, he says, he chases me down. I love the lyrics by Corey Asbury. Fight till I'm found. He leaves the 99. And I don't know about you, but in my case, he has chased me down 100% of the time through somebody else. When they were willing and they loved me enough to not tell me what I wanted to hear. And in that moment, that was the voice of God. So as we end, and this will be it, who needs to hear from you, whether you feel like them hearing from you or not? Who's approaching you and you wanna brush it off as they're just hyper self-righteous and who are they? And you know in your heart, that's not what it is. And you won't listen. And that person who loves you enough to get really uncomfortable may be the voice of God in your life right now. And then finally, those of you who are, man, you are, you're ready. Fight sin, take it back, stop the compromise, win back, defend, secure. Have you ever done this? Are you actually in community with other brothers and sisters? Because if you're worried about sin, Jesus is like, this is where it happens. This is where life change happens. And if the church would begin to do this, it would change everything. So I just wanna encourage you, the next step for many of you, you need to go to somebody, you need to listen to somebody. And then for probably, I mean, hundreds of people who are listening to me, you need to get into community. To text right now, CC group to 94,000 to go. This isn't the only means to this, but in most cases, this is the thing that opens the door for me to get into the kind of relationship and community where this can happen and we can live this out as a church. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you were clear even when it is uncomfortable. And so take what I have, Lord, communicated in a way that, Lord, is, is so powerless without your spirit and without you guiding and directing. I pray that you would apply it in a way that will meet people where they are and give them in some cases, terrifying clarity about what is next. I pray that Lord, where we are confronted with things that are uncomfortable in this moment, I know that's many of us, that we wouldn't just brush it off. They wouldn't just get angry at me, the communicator, that Lord, maybe they would just stop to, to ask the question for a moment, whether the Holy Spirit, whether the savior that they say they're following is, is trying to speak to them. Because as we know from the New Testament, Jesus didn't come primarily to comfort us. Jesus came to disrupt some things in us and lead us to a place of life and freedom, but that only happens when we confront what needs rooted out and face it down so we can move away from it and be free and live in the grace and the life to the full that you've offered. And so do your thing in hearts and lives everywhere right now. And we ask this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.